Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty Spotlight Interviews. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with the insights from a different perspective of Business Fight Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. Today, I sit down and talk with Zubair Junjunia. Zubair is an educational activist, social entrepreneur, and founder of Znotes, the online learning platform which shares revision notes democratically for students by students. During our conversation today, Zubair is going to talk with us about why he is so passionate about education equality. As a person just recently out of full-time education himself and the founder of an education social enterprise, Zubair has some great advice on how to get the best from your education and also how to not only get your foot into the door for the job you want, but how to get through it. In addition to being a social entrepreneur himself, Zubair was also awarded the Diana Award. He is a One Young World and STEM UK ambassador and is on the advisory board for DEFI at Cambridge University. Someone with these credits isn't just a successful entrepreneur, but has something to say. During our conversation, Zubair is also going to delve into why more thinking is needed into how to deliver and maximise social impact, not just measure the easy numbers. So, Zubair, welcome. Hi, Katie. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good today. And how about yourself? Good too, thanks. Um, Zubair, thank you so much for joining us. I wanted to ask, as our sort of opener to our conversation, you've been working on uh, Znote, Znotes. I want you to tell us a bit more about what this is and what's brought you to this point. Absolutely. It's been about seven years since I launched Znotes, and I was a 16-year-old when I did. Um, and it's all about making education accessible to as many people as possible and leveraging students to do so. So as I was going through my GCSEs, I realized this incredible disparity between those with higher financial sustainability or, or geographical locations with which they can access certain resources or quality of teaching and others who couldn't do so. And during that time, I thought I could do something about it. And I shared some exam revision resources on a small blog. And over those seven years, I've just been working on this and growing it. And I think what's been incredible is how students have come together, this virtuous circle of giving back. And so we've been able to reach millions of students, over 3 million students, providing high quality educational resources that is all written for students, by students, targeting specific uh, international exam boards. And we're on the mission to reduce education inequality for young people everywhere. Wow. And uh, Zubek, can you give us a bit of a sense of how far have you got? Like how, how many people are part of this? So it did start off as that one-man band, as, as many kind of <laughs> entrepreneurial or kind of projects start. And I, I, it, was, it was like that for many years. I mean, I find it still difficult to be described as an entrepreneur because you, you kind of don't attach your label to that. And for many years, Xenos was really very much a, a website that existed in the background. But over the years, I remember around about five years ago or so, I started to get more and more people who wanted to join the team and get involved in the content creation and the content production and, and delivery of it all. Um, and it's just been slowly but surely, everything we've done is, has been organic. So it's, it's been a slow but steady growth. And we are now 
you know, almost 25 interns who join the team who work completely voluntarily because they believe in the mission. We've had about 100 contributors from all over the world. They've put in, whether it's educational content as written resources or as video pieces or as podcasts. And it's all of these kind of people coming together, really believing in the mission and then deciding to contribute their effort and time uh, that, that's got us to where we have today. Oh, well, congratulations so far. And I'm sure that anybody listening you sure could get involved as well by contacting Zubair and uh, Znotes. Zubair, I'm curious, like most people, me at the age of 16, I might have thought about something and helping others, but I didn't necessarily act on it. Why, why was sort of taking that leap and acting on this thought of, you know, we need to share this, this isn't, this isn't equal. Why did you take action? And, and also, like, what are the impacts that you're seeing from the work you're, you're doing? Well, I think the first observation or insight that I got was, was really very apparent disparities. I mean, I, I looked at neighboring schools and I could see the differences. I could see, so I was living in Saudi Arabia at the time. My parents had moved here for work and I was an expatriate going to an international school. And back home in Pakistan, I could see my cousins, my fa- family friends struggling because they didn't have the same access. So it was a very personal problem. And that's, I think that made the biggest difference. And secondly, there was a disconnect between, I guess, the system and the people who were involved in it, right? Because we, we tend to go for these top-down approaches and when we're trying to solve these biggest global problems. And if I tried to, I mean, I, I'd observe this inequality. And if I wanted to go up to the top of the governments and make a change there, it, it was going to take ages. And I probably wouldn't have been able to get through the first door. And I was just, I think I was lucky as well in many ways. The timing was just perfect. We were just coming into this, this moment where technology was just so much more accessible. Yes, you know, we had the internet for a while now, but, you know, we now were able to set up WordPress websites with a click of a button. We were able to start posting so easily, sharing so quickly and be, becoming, you know, a, a global phenomena by, by just connecting to the internet. So I think uh, timing plus this realization and the personal kind of problem that I saw kind of culminated in me trying to do something. I was already messing around with, I remember I was really like interested in like how websites worked and how graphic designing worked. And so I was just like, these were hobbies that I was already involved with. So it just like all these things just came in a line and, and, and it happened. Um, and in terms of impact, there are, it's twofold. And initially, obviously it was very much testimonial based things we heard back from our students. And many of those things were very much you know, academic oriented, they went from one grade to another and it was, they were incredibly grateful and they were able to attend the university of their choice. And so we continuously got these type of feedback over the many years. And it's, it's, it's so heartwarming to hear it. But recently I've been seeing another occurrence and it is a little bit difficult to measure or even kind of identify, but what I've started to notice is social capital redistribution. So when communities come together, especially young people in an online fashion, you can't really tell who's coming from where geographically, uh, you know, which financial position they're at, where their families are, what their earning level is, what their kind of historical background is, whether their grandparents have gone to university and all these kind of like things are associated to their social capital is, is kind of hidden away. But when young people come together under a similar target, which is to get through a certain number of exams, it becomes kind of, it, it, just, it just starts to form a better relationship. And what 
has been happening is that students from all over the world at different you know levels of comfort and, and access and resources are interacting with each other and by speaking by conversing by sharing advice they're not just getting themselves further along in their academic journey but also in many cases supporting them in their career and more like more holistically their life journey because I when I was applying to uni I didn't know about spring weeks and, and internships and and how a certain degree can be like modified to make it more personalized and that, all these things and these are things which are only found out when you when you have family members and and relatives and or you belong to a country where access to higher education is so easy so this is starting to happen unplanned untriggered and so it's just like it's just kind of coming together by itself and it's it's beautiful and i think i am more excited by this even more than the academic outcomes because if someone can understand and progress past certain challenges which exist at social stratas you've actually gone further than so much more you can you are able to leap past certain you know restrictions which exist in a certain racial geographical financial group of what, of what you're limited by it's such it's such food for thought zubair and i love listening to you always and i wonder whether i mean knowing that i mean you've been awarded the diana award you're a one young world and also stem uk ambassador your advisor to <laughs> defi at cambridge university and various other pieces you don't get those sorts of positions certainly at the age that you are to bear because you've just set up a social enterprise it's because you've obviously got a really interesting take on the world very thoughtful about it and i wondered whether you would share with us and those listening to this podcast some of those thoughts i mean what is it that you see in terms of trends coming down the pike that perhaps others should be aware of are there sort of certain pieces that you're just people just aren't taking heed of issues that they should be i mean what's what's on your mind really zubair i mean there's a lot on my mind but i want to like talk a little bit more in the context of young people education and because my work is often and it is focused so much on the kind of that age group of 14 to 18 year olds students who are at the kind of the helm of getting into higher education or or their first jobs so it is my kind of my some of my ideas are revolve a lot around them and I'm able to be I'm exposed to them so often so it's 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 interesting the first thing that's that's come about and it's a big change from from the many years of uh, many past years is is this less association to grades academic grades i mean grades are still very very important to get into university or in certain kind of opening certain doors but what i'm starting to notice especially in the last few years is certain students are realizing that even to get into these top universities and courses grades are have are getting less weighting moving forward and i i don't mean like we're just going to have to skip this completely but they're turning to into something that is putting your getting your foot in the door than actually getting you through and there's so many other things that young people need to be doing to get through the door because we are i mean competition is is more more than ever before i mean even thinking about my sister's going to university it's it's crazy because the type of achievements the type of things that young people are doing these days i sometimes struggle and think that whether whether i would have got into my university if i hadn't if i was not doing what they're doing um so the competition is incredible grades a's and a stars you know whatever it is that you're aiming for are becoming more easy to achieve or more people are achieving them um so i think young people are thinking about how they can add more to their personal profile what makes them 
them, what makes them unique in, in, in the eyes of whether it's higher education. And I should also kind of add that, you know, it could also be careers. People are, some students are realizing that they don't want to go down a, a university pathway and they want to go straight to jobs. And in the same case, you know, how do you stand out? How do you impress the person who's looking at your profile? So one thing that I've noticed, and I think if young people haven't heard of it yet, or they should definitely be kind of getting behind, how can you stand out? How can you, what are the aspects of your personality? And it's not just about your grades or even about your skills, you know, and I'm talking about, you know, what are your interests? What are your passions? What are your aesthetic preferences? What are things you do uh, when you're not working? You know, all these small pieces come together to turn you into a very, very vibrant human being. And when you're applying to jobs, universities, anything you're doing, you need to be putting that vibrant self out there. So when I, I shared my bio with you, Katie, and you must have seen like, after all this stuff, I've also written about like, what I like doing when I'm not working, which is like running cross country and swimming in open water and, and doing triathlons and, and skating and all this. So these are parts of my life, which may seem disconnected, but actually they make me who I am and they make me unique in everything else that I you know, there, there'll be a bunch of people who run social enterprises. There'll be a bunch of people who do, who've got a math degree, but there are very few people who do that, 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 and that. And so what I think that's going to be important for young people moving forward is to identify these things about themselves and make sure that they, wherever they're promoting or trying to get in somewhere, they need to be putting out that whole vibrant self to, to, the, to the others. That was a long number one. But number two is about, um, specifically in higher education institutions, I've also seen that people are taking a much more of a proactive approach to what they do in their university degrees. So traditionally, we've, we've gone through the pathway of selecting certain modules and just doing the things that we need to do, getting through the lectures. But degrees are becoming much more flexible and customizable. And also, if you want to maximize your, in a very, very business term, your return on investment from a degree, you need to be doing much more than what's been set out. So it's been really, really interesting to see, especially even in my own year and the years coming through the, the, kind of the latest cohorts, especially the ones that I've had to do university online, that they are, these young people are not only getting through their degree, but they're doing a whole bunch of you know, internships and starting like, startups or, or working on projects or starting societies. And, what I, and I kind of think back and I wonder whether I should have been doing more as well at that time. Um, because at the end of the day, a university degree is, is almost like um, it's such an amazing launch pad for you. You have this incredible network of your current students and your alumni. You have opportunities all around you. You have a, a very good excuse as well as a young person and as a student. You can pretty much walk in and, and knock on any door and say to someone that oh, I'd like some help on this. And what the worst you can get is a rejection. I'm not going to, I don't have time for you. Um, but more and more young people are, are taking that proactive step of using their degree, not just in, the, in that traditional sense of learning a few things, but actually leveraging all the connections that come with it, all the opportunities that are around it, um, and turning it into something which then makes them kind of leap forward in many, many rungs of the ladder in their career or chosen pathways. The final thing is around, uh, it's a little bit broader. It's not about young people. It's more about the entrepreneurial space that I, I'm involved with. And maybe I have a little bit of an echo chamber because I see a lot of social startups and social enterprises around me because I'm doing that a lot. But it seems like all the new kind of startup ideas are coming out with 
a very clear social mission. Businesses have a very have an intrinsic value value chain which is producing impact, and it's really exciting. And I think connecting this with the young people, we, I mean Gen Z and even millennials are so interested and excited about seeing something, doing something which results in positive positivity in something good around them, something good for the planet. We've, we've seen our, like on social media and all these things that how different activists, such young people are going out and talking about climate change, talking about racial disparities, talking about uh, poverty, talking about all these great global challenges. And they're all, they're also passionate about it. And it's a two way thing. These are the guys who are also coming forward and setting up startups and initiatives, which are tackling these problems, but also to attract these this talent to your company or startup, you also need to be working towards these social missions. So the space of social entrepreneurship, the space of impact and impact-driven startups is, is growing so quickly. And it's, for me, it's very exciting. I think moving forward, whether you're a large-scale corporate who's existed for tens or hundreds of years, or you're just starting up a new idea or initiative, if you don't have social impact built into your value chain, then you're going to be missing out on the greatest pool of talent, which is coming forward. And I want to pick you up on that last point a bit, Zubair, which is, I, I mean, I'm very fortunate I get to sit and look at a lot of big businesses often, but also sort of, you know, on the complete spectrum of sort of highly commercial with a bit of purpose sort of th- sprinkled over the top, mm-hmm. very purpose-driven, all the way through to, you know, really hardly making money and fundamentally driven by that the social impact yeah what does it mean i mean from your perspective what does that mean to you where do you is it a spectrum is there something deeper that we need to be doing in order to kind of get our arms around that better it's something that i've actually had to spend a lot of time on in the last few weeks and months at xenos we put together our first ever impact report this year i had to sift through seven years of of figments of data all over the place just to capture what we've been able to do and what we're achieving. And we put that report together, we published it, we were really, really proud of it. But at the end of the day, we saw that a lot of the metrics we were reporting, a lot of the things we were talking about were still access metrics. And it was because obviously we'd also looked online and looked at the different reports that were coming out. And many of them were always around, you know, how many people did you reach? What was the demographic that you reached? What did you do here? What, how many things did you produce, et cetera, et cetera. So, we were following this kind of norm of how impact was being reported. And I'm, I'm kind of taking your question a bit further, Katie, just to talk about the measurement and reporting of impact. I think that's the key question and the key challenge right now. Because as we become more socially minded as corporates, as you said, the ones who are sprinkling and those who are almost like martyrs, you know, they're going out and doing everything and not trying to make any money. So many of us are trying to do good, but how good is our good? We don't usually ask that question, you know, we, because we're doing something good, we don't put ourselves to the test of if we're doing something good, are we maximizing the benefit or the positive impact that we can have? Are we making sure that the positive impact can, is not having any negative connotations to it? And these are questions that we don't tend to ask because, you know, because if it's something that's positive, it's any kind of positive, we kind of accept it and we just like move along with it. I, I've faced this a lot because if I talk about my story and share it with any group of people, the reaction isn't. Uh, the reaction is often positive, and I, it's it's amazing to hear, and it fills your heart with joy that people are care about what you do. But I think we should be as rigorous as we are with any other corporate questions or startup. You know, when we talk about 
what's your profit margin, how, what's your ROI, what's your this, what's your that. We're very scientific about those things, but why aren't we as scientific about our impact measurement? And so we've been spending a lot of time going through this very, very deeply and very academically. And I think that is a challenge. Uh, the growth of social impact startups, the growth of socially minded entrepreneurs is amazing. But at the same time, we need to make sure that, that we are not just doing it, put a stamp on what we do. And we're not just being kind of putting our heads in the sand and trying to just think that we're doing good without actually really critically assessing ourselves. And the, the ways to do it are simple. There's, there's so much out there. There's, we need to spend time to understand academically research, do literature reviews about the topic, about the challenge that you're working on. Look at what the academics are saying. What are the specific problems in, the, in this kind of sector? What are, if you're talking about climate change, if you're talking about, you know, carbon offsetting, understand it. You're not allowed to become a startup who works towards carbon offsetting unless you actually have some sort of technical expertise. And if you don't have it, find people who can help you with it. And once you do, start measuring the metrics, start, count, start making yourself accountable to things which actually are directly related to the challenge that you're solving. And not just access metrics like, oh, we got 100 people on our website today, but more like this is what we did and this is what happened. And we then ran a, you know, put together a randomized control test and we went here and we found out that this, when we had a sample of 50 people and asked what happened, we found out this, this, and this. And when you start becoming scientific about it, suddenly you're, you start to question and become more efficient because you question the, the processes and things that you do, which maybe aren't as positive as you thought they would be. And you become more, more effective because you've figured out what's wrong and you've, you've been, you get, you're working towards creating more impact. I feel that that is, I can be very honest, we're struggling and we're trying to work towards. And I hope that more and more of the startups start to take this very, very seriously because it's going to be important that we as positive, socially impact-driven startups are holding ourselves accountable and not just patting ourselves on the back when we make certain, we hit certain milestones. See, Bear, I'm curious also in terms of your outlook as well, like where do you see your own personal journey going? I mean, you talked about coming from Pakistan, living in Saudi. I know that you've done some of your degrees and quite a lot of education in the UK. I mean, where do you see yourself going? And also Z notes, C notes, where, where, what next? Yeah. So once again, it's, it's just a journey. And if you asked me this question a year ago, six months ago, five years ago, <laughs> my question would have, my answer would be different. And I'm, I'm, prob- I'm pretty sure that in a few weeks time, it'll, it'll change a little bit more. But specifically talking about Zenotes, this has been a, a hard one because it, when it's your baby, you, you think of it as the, as the biggest and most important thing in your life. There was a point in my life when I thought of it, oh, I need to scale it up like a tech startup and become a unicorn and have like offices all over the world and like hundreds of employees. And I think the realization, which has been a bit hard and probably happened a lot over COVID while I spent, reflected and spent time in lockdown, was that actually, I don't want it to become that. I am really happy with what it's able to do in this kind of student-driven, volunteer-driven model. And yes, there are a few things we should improve and we should expand upon and we may need a bit of like certain revenue streams to kind of keep ourselves afloat. But overall, what, is, what it's able to do, the impact it creates with the kind of inputs it has is, is pretty astonishing. And so what I look at Xenos as is, is, is a very big experiment. It's an experiment which has been running for seven years, which has had hundreds of people involved. But what it's proven is that with minimal infrastructure and input, financial and otherwise, 
you can create so much impact. And the, the thing that it boils down to is that you need to be giving young people the opportunity to make this impact. That's what Xenos has done. If I kind of take away even the, the kind of educational foci on it, right? If I can take those aspects out of it, what it's done is essentially brought young people together because they believe in a certain, because they believe in a, they need to get, do, be able to do something. So they have a certain target and they believe in a certain mission. They want to give back and they've found an outlet to access these things and also give back to the community that they belong to. So for me, um, Xenotes is an example of what community-led approaches or community-led learning can do. And what I'd hope to do, or what I'd want to do with next is to be able to take this model, um, refine it further, work with academics, work with people in the industry to, to then be able to apply it and implement it in parts of the world where resources are limited. So we're talking about, and not, not just, again, financial and others. So if there are countries in the world who cannot spend billions to set up new schools and train hundreds of thousands of teachers, then what my pr- proposition is essentially, let's do this, put X amount, which is like going to be a tiny, a fraction of the percent of what, what the cost of setting up a new school would be. And let's empower a thousand of your students from all over your country to start creating resources, to start teaching each other, to put these different localized models in place. And let's see how much impact I can have. And that's what I would like to see Xenos as. Not, not it, like it, it is essentially a model which has been experimented and run and it, it's, it's showing off the impact it can have and now taking it and applying it into local contexts. So that's what I'd like to do. And more broadly myself, I, I, I would just, so my kind of social mission, my own personal mission is very much aligned to making education as accessible as possible. But more broadly, we have a, a short period of time on this planet and I'd, I'd like my time to be so that I can impact, I could have impacted as many people as possible uh, by the end of it. So whatever I can do to make that happen, obviously there will be challenges of making, keeping myself <laughs> financially afloat and, and, you know, having somewhere to sleep and eat and all that kind of stuff. But overall, I'd like to be doing things which are working towards that overarching mission of mine, which is making an impact. Not exactly sure what that looks like. And it's kind of exciting when you don't know. Definitely kind of exciting when you don't know. But for anybody who's listening to this podcast and wants to get involved, do reach out. I am pretty certain that Zubay, you'd like to hear from them. Um, potentially even join you on your, on your mission. It sounds, um, well, I'm sure it is absolutely vital and important. Um, Zubay, my last question for our conversation today. You're a young entrepreneur. You're a leader. What advice do you have for perhaps bigger businesses, but also other young people who are setting out on their own journey? What would be the advice that you perhaps give to yourself when you were a bit younger or that you want to share with others now? Probably need to disconnect the two because there's, there's a specific thing that I'd love to tell my, my past self, almost my 17-year-old self, <laughs> which is try stuff out. Really, it's, it's, it's I mean, everyone says it and I, I don't need to explain it any further because there's so many amazing and inspirational people I've told you before, but the only reason I've got to where I have is because I started, I just tried something out. I experimented, I messed up, I made mistakes. And I just, you know, every time I made a mistake, it was something that kind of came positively out of it. And I've, the, the other thing is that I've always been shy about speaking of what I do. And the moment that I started talking about it is where a lot of my doors started to open. It's weird because we, we shy away mainly not out of the fact that we don't want to tell people it's 
it's the fear of rejection. We don't want to be rejected by what we what we're doing because it's it's it hurts, right? You know, you've just worked hours and hours on something, and you now if someone says it's not that good, you're gonna feel like, man, I spent so much time and I'm not getting that feedback I want. So I think the the kind of we we have this fear of rejection built into us because we want to appear like the most you know well formed amazing individual out there in society. So because of that, though, we miss out on so many opportunities. And I've, I assume my bio might sound like I've done a lot and all these kind of things. But at the end of the day, I've, the number of people who have said no or not replied to my LinkedIn messages or emails it, are many, many more than the people who have actually said yes or said or something has happened with, out of it. So I, I don't think I'm, I'm saying anything new. My advice isn't, isn't groundbreaking. It's just about trying something out. And that kind of as far as possible, it's not possible to kind of eliminate it completely. But Try to reduce that fear of rejection because what's the worst that can happen? It's not as if they're going to come and start talking about, oh, you sent me a message and I didn't reply and I think you're, you're not that cool. <laughs> it's not going to happen. You know, there's very little, very little repercussions that happen when you get rejected. So I would just be proactive and keep doing that. Well, on that note, great wise words. Zubair, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your time with us today. Zubair, thank it's been you. A great pleasure. Thank you. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. 